Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, once again, if you turn to Ephesians 6. So we'll start reading where we've been starting reading. <laughs> Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. And Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And he writes, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, Paul writes, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." Now let's go before the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you once again for the words you've given us here, this revelation, that will, the truth that will set us free. And I just ask that you'll just impress this word upon our hearts today, uh, this truth of prayer and the presence and power of your Holy Spirit that is brought to us through prayer. And uh, we just thank you that you'll do that and speak to us today, that we may go forth and and walk in boldness and bring glory to you and the Lord Jesus Christ as we walk throughout this world in Jesus' name we pray. So, you know, have you ever watched a, a sporting event and one team is just getting overpowered and overrun by another team? And then all of a sudden they'll take the star player who's been out of the game because he's injured. And even though he still may be limping, he's still not doing all that much better. They stick him in the game. And his presence a lot of times, how many times do you see that? It just seems to make all the difference. So the rest of the team, nothing's changed. They're no different. They're no better in ability. Nothing's physically changed. But all of a sudden, they're energized, and they're playing different on a different level, differently than they were. And the game changes, and they carry themselves differently. And a lot of times, those teams, they'll end up winning in the end. And it's all because of the presence of one person. Well, let me ask you a question. How important would you say the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is to our success in spiritual warfare? And how effective are our weapons without him? I mean, it kind of goes without asking. And this is part of a prophecy that was given to a man of God a few years ago. And he said this, he said, Why is it that the church cannot see that to try to overcome Satan in its own power and by its own methods is like trying to stop an enemy tank with a pea shooter? The enemy is a spirit. He is the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He is a powerful adversary. And this man wrote, only the power of the Holy Spirit can meet and overcome him. That's the only power that is able to overcome the power of the devil in this universe, is the power of the Holy Spirit that we have available to us. And so, in this passage we just read, verses 10 to 20, Paul just surrounds this passage with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins in verse 10. Because what does he say in verse 10? He says, be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his might. And what else is he talking about but the power and strength that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit? And then he goes on, we've been through all the six pieces of armor. The belt of truth, the shield of faith, and on and on, the sword of the Spirit. But immediately after he gives all that armor, he talks about prayer in the Spirit in verse 18. Praying always, right after the sword of the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So all of this armor is wrapped, so to speak, in the Spirit. And verse 10 and verse 18, I would say, in essence, are saying the same thing. Because in verse 10, you can't be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might without prayer. And in verse 18, you can't be praying at all times with all kinds of prayer for all saints and all perseverance and not experience the strength and power of God in your life. So what I want to talk about today is prayer in the spirit and communion with God. And that is essential to experiencing victory in our Christian life, in our Christian walk, and in our Christian warfare. And it can only be by seeking the Lord daily that we know that presence and power. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, every single piece of armor, excellent though it is in itself, will not suffice us and will not avail us unless always and at all times we are in a living relationship to God and receiving strength and power from Him. And what is that living relationship he's talking about? It's prayer. That's how we experience a living relationship with God. So these six pieces of armor, I'm saying, they are sandwiched in between where Paul is talking about the power of the Spirit and prayer in the Spirit. It's called an inclusio. It's like a sandwich. And the bread is the Holy Spirit. So in other words, if the Spirit of God doesn't permeate and empower this armor we put on, it's useless. It's paper armor. It's veggie tail armor. It's, it's like cartoon armor. It's not going to do us any good. Because prayer is the foundation and essence, isn't it, of our spiritual life. That's the first sign that a person has spiritual life. You know, when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus and Ananias is questioning about it, what did he say? What's the first thing he said? Behold, he prays. He wasn't doing that before. It's the foundation of spiritual life, and it's what undergirds our armor. And it's the means that we depend on God and request his empowerment. So this combination, this is not anything new that Paul has here in chapter 6. It's one of the main themes in this letter to the Ephesians. If you'll just turn back here in chapter 6, if you would just turn back to chapter 1. And I'll tell you, I know we've heard this many times, but we need to hear it again. So I'm saying Paul combines prayer and knowledge and experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we see that in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20. He says, Wherefore I also, after I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love, unto all the saints, and here's his prayer. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here it was what his prayer is, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be in, enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And look at verse 19. We're talking about 
praying for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Paul prays that your eyes can be opened, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And Paul prays, he says, I'm praying that you will get a revelation of the power that is made available to you and only through prayer and only by the Holy Spirit can that be revealed to us. God has to give us those spiritual eyes to see. And I would say this, are you in a long-standing trial? Something that just doesn't seem to end. Believing for something that seems great. And I would say, ask God, like Paul. We don't have Paul here to pray for us now. But we need to pray like Paul that God would show us the verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? Now, Paul could have just said to just pray that God would show us his power, couldn't he? He could have just left it at that, but he threw some adjectives in there to show it is no ordinary power that's available to us. And that word exceeding, the exceeding greatness, it means to go beyond, to surpass, to, to outdo something. So, you know, you'll go to the fair, if you go to the fair or whatever, or one of these places, or you see it in a movie or on TV, or you've read about it in a book. Well, you'll see the strong guy, he goes up and takes the big, bam, hits that weight, goes up, bing, hits the bell. And that's the sign that that guy's got strength, right? But what about somebody grabs that thing and hits that, bam, and it shoots up, knocks the bell off, and the weight goes flying off in the distance. You'd be like, man, that guy's got surpassing power. That's exceeding power. He's outdone what you could expect. It exceeds the normal. And that is the strength of God that Paul is describing here. He's saying it is exceeding strength, surpassing strength. That's what that word means, the exceeding greatness of his power. And greatness means going beyond a standard of excellence. Going beyond the standard of what is excellent. So Zachary Taylor was a good president. He met the standard. He was a good president. But the greatness of Abraham Lincoln can't be measured, we would say, right? He was beyond the standard that was expected. And that is what Paul is saying the greatness of God's power is. It's exceeding great, far beyond surpassing any standard we could ever imagine. That's what he's saying. And he prays, we need to have our spiritual eyes open to see that. That the power of God is extraordinary beyond anything we could expect. Here's how some of the other versions will translate that verse. The immeasurable greatness of his power. That we could see that. The immeasurable greatness. The surpassing greatness of his power. The incomparable greatness of his power. All of those would be fine translations of what he's saying there. Think about what he is saying. He's praying for these people. You, all of us, we need to have our eyes open to that. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen because we made a confession of faith and we're water baptized and even baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Ephesians were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And yet he's still praying for them to have their eyes open to see this great power that's available to them. And only he can do that. Have you prayed for that? All of us, that's something we need to pray for. Or, or is it just a sermon point? Don't, let's not just make it a sermon point. 
or something that was for the apostles but not for me or something that worked for books I've read, John G. Lake. He saw great miracles take place. But can't we see them here? Can't that be what we were talking about at the beginning of this service? God can do extraordinarily great things for us, right? So he went on in chapter 3, if you turn over to chapter 3, to say that he fell on his knees in prayer to the Father, that he would grant, he, this is another prayer he prayed for these Ephesians, he would grant them to be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man. Look in verses 14 to 16. Two prayers he prays here for these Ephesians. And so we're talking once again. If you can see, I'm saying we are combining prayer with knowing and seeing the power of God. This is what we need for down in chapter 6 with this armor. In verse 14, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees. He is on his knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And here's what he prays. That he, God the Father, would grant you, church, according to the riches of his glory. Now, not just to know it, but to experience it, to be strengthened with might. How? By his spirit, which is what we're talking about, right? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's a prayer that Paul prayed. Be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man is what he prayed. And that is how, verse 10, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might is realized in our lives. It doesn't come automatically. Paul fell on his knees to pray for it. And he prayed that God would grant that to him. And that word in the Greek means to give it to them. It has to be given, is what we're saying. Verse 16. And how is it given? By asking. That's what prayer is all about. It's that communion, it's that relationship, it's how we receive things from the Lord. And so do we ask for that? Do we ask for our eyes to be open to see what this great power that's available to us is? Do we ask for God to grant us that we could be strengthened in our inner man by this power of this Holy Spirit, by this strength that he will give us? Do we even see the need for that? So I've had a lot of people tell me, that they really struggle with knowing God loves them. A lot of people struggle with that, I think, more than would admit it. I think we all do to some degree or another, and yet this is the very way that God has ordained we can know that love. Because look what he goes on to say in verse 17, after he said, strengthen with might by his spirit in the inner man. Look at that at the beginning of verse 17. That means that's the purpose of being strengthened in our inner man. The purpose is that what? Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith that we can be rooted and grounded in what? His love. That's something put in us by the Holy Spirit. Rooted and grounded in love, verse 18. That, as a result, we may be able to comprehend, to know, to see something with all saints. What is the breadth and length and depth and height, in verse 19, to know, have our eyes open, the love of Christ, to experience it. It passes all knowledge that we can be filled with the fullness of God. We have to pray and seek God for that, don't we? Isn't that what we just read? Paul prayed it for them. On his knees he's praying. He knows how important that is. And I'm saying, do we know how important it is to know and experience the love Christ has for us? That's what will help us get through trials. 
But know how much he loves us. When things look like nobody loves us. We can know that if we pray. And that power that works that we don't understand, look how great it is. We're saying this exceeding great. And he's basically saying that again in verse 20. Look what he goes on to say. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever imagine, all that we could ever ask or think. How does he do that? According to the power outside of us? What does it say? According to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I mean, don't you think if you really knew and experienced that love of the Lord Jesus Christ in a full way beyond comprehension, that you would be given glory to God? All the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ to know his love? There's no way you could keep from, from bringing that out, from that not coming out to his glory. It would just be there. That power that works in us. So we have to do two things we've seen here. We have to pray for God to open our eyes and we can see what's available. And we also, the secondly in chapter 3, we need to pray that we can experience it. And it, you'll never experience it to its full degree. We never will in all eternity understand and comprehend the infinite love of God for us, his people. <laughs> so back to chapter 6 and verse 18. Now, you don't quite get this into King James, but you do, and I think in most other translations, and the New King James won't have it either. But Paul underscores, we're talking about prayer, and he underscores the importance of prayer here in verse 18 by using the word all four times. So King James translates praying always. I'm saying it says the word in the Greek is all, ponte, it's used four times, and here it's used the word for times, praying at all times, which is fine to say praying always. It means the same thing, but you don't quite get the force. But four times he uses the word all in association with prayer. He says to pray at all times, praying with all prayer and supplication, to pray with all perseverance, and to pray for all the saints. Now that's a lot of alls. All times, all prayer, all perseverance, all saints. And why is he using all the alls? Because <laughs> he's trying to underline and underscore that prayer in the spirit is of utmost importance for us to survive. Because our struggle with the devil and our need for God's empowering, it's never-ending, is it not? It's a never-ending struggle. Till the day we either get raptured or pass away, we will have to have the power of God in our lives to overcome. So he doesn't just say some prayer, a little perseverance for a few of the saints, does he? No, he says all, all prayer at all times for all saints. A total commitment to prayer is what we need. So he begins there by saying in verse 18, praying always. And it, like I said, literally means at all times, or we could say at every opportunity. I remember back when I first got in this faith walk, there were some people up in northern Ohio that were trying to tell me, you need to be praying in the spirit while you're sleeping. I'm like, I don't quite know how that works. Never have quite figured that one out. Never worried too much about it. I don't think that's what he's saying. Whether you sleep or wake, you've got to have something going on, tongues going on in your head and whatever else. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying we need to be at the opportunities we have and we need to be people of prayer, right? Constantly in a state of prayer in that sense. And why is that? 
We're talking about warfare here. Do you know the next time you're going to get attacked by the devil? I don't. It could be before you're out the door. Somebody says something to you that's an attack by the devil that you weren't expecting. It's church. How could that happen in church? It just happened. Not to me. I'm not saying literally. But you know what I'm saying. So we always need to be ready. That's why we're saying that. I had somebody just told me recently they were in a serious trial, and they admitted we didn't take it seriously, and we weren't ready for it. We weren't prayed up. Just kind of thought somehow things would work out, and they said it was just the grace of God that we made it through. And that's why I'm saying take it seriously what Paul's saying here, praying always at all times. We never know when that attack's going to come, do we? So I had to relearn myself a lesson the hard way. Because a lot of times it's easy for all of us to just get along in life and just figure we got a handle on things. That's a bad place to be in. Because that's when you get blindsided by the devil. You get hit by a test that you never saw coming. And he'll take you down. Seems like the referee's counting one, two. You're laying on the mat. He's up to nine and about ready to do ten. And the grace of God somehow comes through. But it wasn't because you deserved it. You weren't ready. And the devil bout had you out. So I want to spend a little time with this just for a second, praying at all times. Because at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, we have this little petition added there. Lead us not into temptation, because we're talking about warfare. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some translations say evil. I believe it's the evil one. And I would say that needs to be prayed by all of us every day, right after we're praying for our daily bread and asking to forgive others as we want to be forgiven. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. So when you pray that prayer, does that mean you're never going to be led into temptation? I don't think that's what that prayer is talking about. Because Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil, Matthew 4 and Luke 4. So we're not going to get out of all testing, are we? We're no better than our Lord. So I don't think that's what that's talking about. He's going to test us, isn't he? God is, to develop our characters through those temptations. It's for our good. We can't get away from that. But I don't think that's what we're praying about here. I think we need to pray that we get delivered from unnecessary tests and from being overwhelmed by the tests that come our way. That's what I think he's talking about there. Because the devil has landmines and pits that he has dug that he wants us to fall into and be overcome. And that's why we pray, deliver us from the evil one. Do you know what that word deliver means? Deliver us from the evil one, it means to rescue from danger. And that's what we're asking God to do for us, our Father. To rescue us from danger. To snatch us out of trouble. These snares that are being laid that without his help, they'd overcome us. So this prayer is suggesting that the devil has minds and pits he's luring us into that only the Father's loving deliverance can keep us from and bring us out of. This man wrote this, this particular petition recognizes that deliverance from the evil one is not within humanity's grasp. For this, the power and grace of God are needed. In other words, we can't just arrogantly walk through life thinking we can overcome and deal with tests that come our way in our own wisdom and our own strength. 
And that's part of our warfare with the enemy. If we don't recognize our weakness and his power to overcome us, we'll constantly be tripped up and overcome. You got an anger issue? He'll get you in situations you aren't ready for because you haven't been praying and you didn't pray that morning. And next thing you know, you've just blown up for the third time that day because you didn't pray. Leave me not into temptation. You're not watching. You're not ready. You're not in the spirit. And you just got done in. Or I know somebody recently who was overcome by a certain situation. It kept overwhelming them. A certain person. And every day the devil would get them set up and they'd feel powerless to deal with it all. And they're getting extremely frustrated about the whole thing. And I just asked them, I said, do you pray this prayer every day? Lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. And they said, no, honestly, I don't do that, but I will. I'll begin to. And guess what? They started doing that. And this had been a constant battle for this person day after day for a while. And all of a sudden, things changed. Totally changed. Things changed with that person. You know why? Because then God can intervene. That's why it's there. We can't take these things for granted. The Lord's Prayer is there for a reason. Is it? And it should be prayed daily in principle, if not something recited like a Catholic. I used to do as a Catholic. I don't do that. That's not going to get you anywhere. You could say the words that are there as long as you're thinking about what you're saying. It's not wrong to use those words. Well, listen, a godly man wrote this. In this petition that I'm talking about, lead us not into temptation, he says, we are asking, listen to this. I thought this was good. Dear Father, Please lead us in such a way that we will be able to resist the temptations that surround us. Please swoop down and rescue us from all the wiles of the evil one and from the power of all his evil people and works. We need your help. That's what we're praying when we pray that. I need it. Not just a few weeks back. I guess it was about a month ago. I, I had some things where, I mean, I was in the flesh in an embarrassing way. And I realized, well, I had three days there. I wasn't praying that prayer. I wasn't praying much at all. I thought, I can't afford that in my life. And God used that. Bam! It's called a spanking. It's called chastisement. It's called, it's wake-up time, my friend. So, preaching to myself here. So we're talking about praying at all times. Jesus said in Luke 18 that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's what he told us. And he said the elect will cry out to him when they're in distress day and night. Not just a little bit, day and night. But he also went on to say the question is, will they cry out in faith? Because many pray constantly and ask for prayer constantly, but they're not praying in faith. Not believing God is hearing their prayers and will respond. Because Jesus said that God, if his elect are crying out to him and they're in a distressing situation, it may not seem like it, but he says he will avenge them speedily. He's not going to leave his elect hanging any longer than, than has to be. He'll avenge them speedily. But he hastens to add this, nevertheless... When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on earth? The implication is he's going to be searching hard when he comes back, which is not far away. Amen? Coming back soon. But he says he's going to be searching hard for those that are really trusting him. 
So constant prayer. It's not a magical incantation, is it? I mean, with me, I'd rather have five people I know that are, they know how to get hold of God and they're praying for my situation than to have 13 churches of people that, that they don't know anything about getting hold of God, right? You want people praying for you that know what it means to get hold of God and to exercise faith. Because Jesus said, don't use vain repetition like the heathens. He said, they think they'll be heard just because there's a lot of speaking going on. He says, no, nah, it doesn't work that way. Your father already knows what you need. They're not going to be heard for their much speaking. We don't want to use people like we would use a rosary, right? We want to pray in faith for each other and for ourselves and for needs we've had. Got to pray in faith. Like the saints in Hebrews 11, they prayed in faith. That's why they're in Hebrews 11. <laughs> like Daniel, he was a man of faith. And Daniel was a person that was in constant prayer. So when the presidents of King Darius, they got jealous of Daniel because of his position and the favor that was granted him, they tricked the king, Darius, into signing a law that said anyone caught asking any god or any man for anything except the king should be put in a den of lions. And why did they do that? Because Daniel was known as a man of prayer. They knew what he did. He was known as a man of prayer. Usually you'll know people that are people of prayer and which ones you just don't bother asking, right? And so what did Daniel do? He's got this pressure put on him. They catch you doing what you've been doing all this time. You're going to be in trouble. Here's what it says, Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. That means that's the way Daniel had been ever since he went into that heathen country. He didn't have all the saints around him to pray. He's doing this in the midst of a bunch of heathens out loud. They knew it. They're trying to use it against him, but he was a person of prayer. He didn't worry about it, did he? Just kept praying three times a day. And you say, man, three times a day? Man, if I could just pray one time a day, I'd feel like I'd have arrived. And Matthew Henry said this, something to think about. Those that think three meals a day little enough for the body ought much more to think three solemn prayers a day little enough for the soul and to count it a pleasure, not a task. Amen? <laughs> so Paul says we're at war. And the first thing he says there is we need to be praying always, verse 18. That's the first thing he tells us. And he also says as we're praying always, we need to pray. What's the next thing he says? We need to pray always with all prayer and supplication. So we're going to be praying all kinds of different prayers as we wage war against Satan. So there's going to be prayers of intercession, prayers for wisdom, prayers for guidance. This is all part of what will be warfare, different types of prayer. Prayers for healing, forgiveness, repentance, safety, provision of our needs. We're going to have short prayers in our warfare, aren't we? You know what those are? Those are those short prayers of distress where you don't really have time to fast and pray for a week. That's when you're out there sliding on the ice and a tree's coming right at you. And the only prayer you have is help Jesus or the blood of Jesus. That's a prayer, isn't it? God will answer that. He has many times. We hear testimonies. So there'll be short prayers and there'll be long prayers in our warfare, 
long prayers of intercession that we'll have for each other and for ourselves and for people in our family. All types of prayers. And so in verse 18, he says, we'll be praying always at all times with all prayer and supplication. That's urgent request. People that have these, you get that phone call, such and such is in a trial. We need to be praying, right? That's what he's talking about there. So there's prayers for our daily bread, prayers you pray in the morning for God to protect you. And then there's those supplications, those urgent needs that you pray. That's all those different types of prayer. And what does he say there, though, at the end? He said, all of those prayers, with all prayer and supplication, how should it be done? In the Spirit. Now, what does that mean, in the Spirit? So I think there's a couple of ways of looking at that, and I think they're both correct, in the Spirit. So I think the Spirit, number one, will prompt us who to pray for a lot of times. Now, is that not happen a lot where we'll have a burden on our heart. Like, I don't know, brother. You walk up to somebody, you say, man, I just had this burden on my heart to pray for you. Who's putting that burden on your heart? It isn't the devil. And you'll find out, man, that person was really going through something. Happens a lot of times, doesn't it? I think that's part of praying what in the Spirit is, praying for certain individuals and situations. And I also think praying in the Spirit, it can also involve English. The English prayers we pray for us English. For any Spanish-speaking people in here, it's whatever language you speak naturally, okay, and understand. I'm assuming it's English where I'm at, okay? But there's times when we've had prayer meeting here, so for those of you that don't come, for a lot of weeks, I'm doing all the praying. I'm praying all the prayers. We kind of opened it up to where, hey, let other people start praying. And here's what I notice is, and I said, just take one of these requests, one of these needs we have, pick one out if you want it, and you pray for it. Well, people generally pick something else that's close to their heart. And guess what? I listen to the way they pray. I'm like, man, that was so much more Holy Spirit inspired than anything I would have done. And it's a blessing. And I think a lot of times God gives us even the words in English to inspire. Because the way they pray versus the way I would have prayed that prayer, I'm thinking that really inspires me to pray for that need. And I think the Holy Spirit a lot of times actually gives us the words to pray. And I also think praying in the Spirit means the Spirit will put a fervency in our prayers. Now, I'm not talking about getting worked up emotionally. A lot of people will do that. Now, we're not talking about that. I think there'll be a fervency that's different than emotions. So when, if you've ever been at a prayer meeting or even praying for yourself, Thomas and I, we, he's always at the prayer meetings I'm at, and a lot of times we'll talk afterwards. I'll say, well, how'd you think it went? And we'll say, well, it went well. Everybody we pray for, it went well, but there are certain cases where it just seems like God's anointing was on praying for this individual, and it's not always the same every week. Is that right? And that's the way it is. Have you been at a prayer meeting and you noticed that for some reason when we prayed for this person, there was like more of an anointing, more fervency that was there for that person. It's not like the others, there was nothing there, or it didn't matter, but there's probably something going on that God's put that prayer. Maybe that situation for that person has reached a critical juncture. And he's doing that so that people will press in more. You can just sense the noise level gets louder. There's just something in your spirit saying that God's in this more now. And sometimes it'll even come as you're praying. It becomes more and more that way. It might start off kind of slow. And I think that's what he does. He'll put that sense of burden, that fervency. And in the same way, I think prayer in the Spirit means he empowers our prayers. He makes them powerful. Is what it means by praying in the Spirit. Mighty 
at work. James 5.16 says this, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And availeth much means that prayer energized by the Spirit, it will cause something to happen. There's power in a person that is praying, being energized by the Spirit. There is a power released. The Holy Spirit's power is what it is. So the fervent prayer of a righteous man, a way of translating that is very powerful. In the Greek it says it's very powerful in its working. So prayer energized in a righteous man is very powerful in its working. The effect it has, that's different than the fervency you have within yourself. It's saying that prayer coming from a person affected within themselves has a very powerful effect on what's being prayed for. And the example given in James 5 is Elijah. It says he was a man subject to like passions as we are. And to put that in terms, we understand he's basically saying Elijah was just a human being. He had a nature like ours. He wasn't Superman. That's what that's saying there, right? So it says he prayed earnestly. Literally, it's he prayed in the spirit. And he had results, did he not? That when he prayed with prayer, when he prayed in the spirit, the rain stopped. And it said when he prayed again, what happened? The rain came. Powerful results. The prayers of a righteous man. That's God's word. But I also think, secondly, that praying in the spirit means praying in supernatural languages. And that's how Paul describes praying in the Spirit in other places in his writings. So if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 14. So we know, we should know anyways, that when New Testament believers receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we read the book of Acts, they always had the initial evidence of what? Praying in tongues. That's Acts 2, that's Acts 8, that's Acts 10, that's Acts 19. Every time, that's the evidence. When they're prayed for to get the Holy Spirit. So some will contend that that's a gift. I've heard that's a gift that's given to some, but not all. Everybody gets the Holy Spirit, but not everybody gets the gift of tongues. And the verse that's commonly cited is 1 Corinthians 12, 30. Do all speak with tongues? And what we need to understand is, I always tell people that say that, well, what you need to understand is you're getting confused here because 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 11, but 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, where he's dealing with the gifts, he's talking about what we have right here when the church is gathered together. That's what he's talking about. Tongues that happen when the church is gathered together. He's not talking about what happens in your private prayer language. So look, we can see that if you look in 1 Corinthians 14, if you're there, look in verse 23. He's talking about the gifts in verse 23. He says, if therefore... What is happening? The whole church become together in one place and all speak with tongues. So he's talking about like what we have right now where we're all gathered together in a public meeting. Or look what he goes on to say in verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has what? A tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. But listen, when he's talking about, he talks in the same chapter about his private prayer language. It's something different. 
It's not the same thing. So look, 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the Spirit. So we're talking about praying in the Spirit. Howbeit in the Spirit, he does what? He speaks mysteries. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And he that speaks in an unknown tongue or a tongue does what? He edifies himself. So he speaks mysteries, edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. I would that you all spake with tongues. That's what he says. I want you all speaking with tongues. It's not saying I wish you did, but you don't. He said, I want you all to speak with tongues, right? But rather that you prophesy. He's talking about when they're gathered together in the church. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret. You got to add the except on there. Why? That the church, all of us gathered together, may receive edifying. And look down then in verse 14. Look what he says. He's talking, you can see here clearly when he talks about praying in the spirit. He's talking about praying in tongues. Verse 14, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, what praise? My spirit prays. But my understanding, I don't understand what I pray in tongues. My understanding, he says, is unfruitful. Verse 15, well, what is it then? He said, I'll pray with the spirit and I'll pray in English with the understanding also. And I'll sing with the spirit. We do that here. And I'll sing with the understanding also. Else when you bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks? Seeing he understands not what you say. For you verily you gave thanks well. So you could pray by yourself in tongues over your food and you've done a good job, he's saying. No problem there. But you got Frank sitting across from you. He has no idea what you just said. It's not helping him bless his food. That's what he says in verse, you give thanks well, verse 17, but the other, he's not built up or edified. But look what he says there in verse 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than all of you. Verse 19, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. The so verse 5, Paul is saying there in verse 5, I would that you all present tense speak with tongues. That's what he wants them to do. But don't do it if there's no interpreter there because nobody understands. So if, if a person over here and a person over here, well, we got worship going on or even right now, you stand up and start speaking in tongues and be like, this is weird. This is confusion. This isn't helping me out at all. I don't understand that little Chinese dialect you have there. It's not doing anything for me. That's what he's saying. Don't do that in the public meeting. It's just going to create confusion. No one understands you. But that person speaking Chinese, guess what they're doing for themselves, whether they do it here or whether they do it at home. He says they're building themselves up. They're edifying themselves. So speak your dialects and your prayer language. You are building yourself up at home. And look, put something in 1 Corinthians 14. Keep something there and go over to Jude 20 because that is what Jude 20 is saying. So I know some of this is familiar to most of us, but it isn't going to hurt to look at it again. You build yourself up. And so we need to pray in tongues as much as we can. Jude 20, but ye beloved, he says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So you got a faith problem here? Somebody's struggling with faith? Pray in tongues. That's what he says you'll do. You'll build yourself up, edify yourself in your most holy faith. And how is that done? 
praying in the Holy Ghost. How else would you interpret that other than you're praying in tongues? <laughs> That's how you do it. So go back to 1 Corinthians 14. So we see here that Paul is saying it's his regular practice, praying in the Spirit. So I'm saying things that most of us know, but I hear people tell me, well, you assume a lot of people understand things that are new or that are younger, and they don't understand them because it's never been said. So I'm trying to cover it so everyone can understand, and we're all on the same page. Amen? So Paul is saying, if you look at that in verse 18 of chapter 14, he says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. But he doesn't do it in the church. So he's saying it's his regular practice. He's constantly praying in tongues, but he says he doesn't do it in church. Look at verse 19. Yet in the church, he says, oh, I'd rather just say five little words with my understanding so that someone that heard those five words would get built up. Rather, he says, than 10,000 words in a tongue. But he probably did do 10,000 words when he wasn't in the church. So do we understand, is, is somebody struggling with the fact that the tongues that he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is a gift of tongues. It's a special gift of divers' tongues that is for public use, that is supposed to be interpreted. It's different than your devotional tongue. It's a, a special gift. And so those people that want to say, well, he said, do all speak in tongues and all that other, I said, well, he also talks about faith being a gift in chapter 12. Are you going to say you don't have faith because only certain people have faith? You can't be a Christian without faith. So that right there tells you that the gift of tongues and the gift of faith is different than your devotional tongues and the faith that all Christians have. This is all in the church when you're assembled together. But he's clearly saying, hey, when I'm praying in the Spirit, my understanding, I don't know what I'm saying. But I'm edifying myself. He goes on to say he edifies himself. He's speaking mysteries to God. He says that in verse 2. We don't understand what he's saying, and he's saying it is a language. He says all that in chapter 14. So praying in tongues, that's how we effectually pray for ourselves and pray for others. Turn to Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. And what's our weakness? We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit that should be himself. It's a masculine, and the Spirit is not an it. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So there's a brother or a sister that's in a trial or needs something, or they've got a request, and you can pray for them in English or whatever language you understand, that's fine. The Spirit can inspire that. But here's what this is telling us here. We don't know everything about that situation that that person's in, do we? We really don't. We're limited. And that's what he's saying there in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. And here's the weakness. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. But guess who is not limited? The Spirit of God is not limited. He knows exactly what needs to be prayed for. He makes intercession for us as we pray in tongues. He uses our prayer language because a lot of times we're in a really bad situation, a major trial. We just almost 
or somebody else and you have this burden, you just don't have the words to utter. And that's what he's saying there in verse 26. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us on our behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. So how many times, this happened to me, either for yourself or someone else, you have got a burden. Somebody's in a real trial. It's like the only way you can express that burden and that prayer for that person, if you're spirit-filled, you should know what I'm talking about, is to pray for them in tongues. Because you just don't feel like you have the adequate words. You're just going to keep repeating yourself to keep praying in English. And you just don't have the adequate words to be praying on behalf of that person. That's what those groanings which cannot be uttered, cannot be articulated. Words that cannot be articulated is what it means. And we just can't express this burden that we have in English. And I think it works the same way when God anoints our worship. I mean, when the presence of God comes down, I mean, a lot of times... I just start singing in tongues. Everyone else may still be in English because that's just what's in my heart to do. I can't express it any other way. That's just what's coming out, that joy. It's like English words just aren't going to suffice. And as the song says, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And I think when that happens, whether it's praying in a burden or singing in the spirit, and somebody, you just get to a point to where that should just be your natural default. And how about those times when God, through the song leader, it's just that right time. And we all are singing in the spirit. And it's harmonious, is it not? And it's like you couldn't do it any better. English would never match this. And I think it's saying that in prayer and it's saying that in singing. And so we can know that our intercession and warfare for ourselves and others is effective. Verse 27, and he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we don't understand what we're saying, but Paul says our father does because he understands men's hearts. He also understands the heart of the spirit. We don't understand it, but he's saying God understands what we're saying. And we're praying according to the perfect will of God. The spirit is enabling us to pray that way. So we're praying in tongues and we can't understand it. Paul's saying you can be sure, though, that God the father rest your heart. He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He knows that in your prayer, you can rest that your prayer in the Spirit is effectual. This theologian wrote this, Spirit-filled theologian, a great guy. He said, rather than seeing praying in the Spirit as mindless activity, do you feel that way? Sometimes you've got to overcome that. You're just like, man, I'm just praying in tongues. about it. it doesn't seem like I'm really doing anything. He says, well, rather than seeing praying in the Spirit as mindless activity, Paul sees it as a highly significant expression of prayer. The believer can take encouragement even in the midst of weakness and suffering that they are praying in God's will. And since God knows the mind of the spirit, he understands the groaning that's coming out. We don't have to feel like even we're in a trial and this is all I can do is just pray in tongues. He's saying you can rest assured God knows what that is. You're praying according to the perfect will of God. How does this all work for us in a practical way? How can we apply this to warfare? So many times we ask God for some need we have based on a promise that we see. And we know, we've been taught well, that we are to believe we receive the answer when we pray. And so a lot of people do that. They have a need, they pray for a promise, and they go on their merry way until after a time the situation gets worse. 
and we're doing our confession, claiming God's faithfulness, but that's all. And I think a lot of times we're missing it there. James 5, we talked about that. It tells us that when we're sick, and the implication is it's more than a headache, what are we to do? Who are we to call? Elders of the church, I think it says. Do we need to go through that one? James 5. Is there any sick among you? There's one phone call the Bible says we should make. Call for the elders of the church. And they are to anoint an oil and pray in faith. And it says the prayer of faith, pretty positive promise as far as I can read it. It says it doesn't, maybe, it might not. A person is going to die on your hands. So there's faith implied by the person that they call for the elders. doesn't say the elders should be calling on them. You've got to have that much faith. But it says that the prayer of faith by the elders of the anointing oil, what does that represent? The presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's how God heals. That's all I ever see in the New Testament. It says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I don't see any with, if, ands, or maybes there. Will heal the sick and the Lord. The Lord is the one that does it all, is he not? The Lord will raise them up. No doubt about it. Raise that sick person up. But is that all it says? Is that all it says? If you read James 5, all of it? He goes on to exhort us. He says, after that, pray for one another that you may be healed. The implication is that person, he doesn't say when the Lord will raise him up. So that person's laying there. You're like, they're anointed with oil, and you know they're, they're in pain and they're suffering. It's just like, well, God will take care of old George there one of these days. No, he says, pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he goes on to say, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So the Lord will raise that sick person up in our church that's prayed for and anointed. But many times there is a war taking place that we can't see. Satan is hindering the manifestation. And our intercession, I think, a lot of times is vital for the manifestation of the answer. Because Elijah, we've talked about it, he's given as an example to what we're talking about here. So God had given him a promise of rain. He gave him a promise that when you pray, it'll stop. And he gave him a promise that when you pray, it'll start raining again. But yet we read that he says the effectual fervent prayer. He's on his knees. If you go back and read the account in 1 Kings, stayed on his knees with his face to the ground praying intercession, fervent prayer, sent his servant seven times. Why did he have to do that? If he had it, if God's going to do it and it doesn't matter, sent the servant seven times. He came back with an answer, sent him again, kept doing that, and was on his knees with his face to the ground until when? Until his servant finally came back and said, well, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah's like, that's it. It's done, as Bevington would say. Tis finished. Right? He didn't stop until he saw that. And I believe he's involved in spiritual warfare through prayer. So we're talking about spiritual warfare and interceding on behalf of each other and persevering in prayer and praying in the Spirit on behalf of ourselves and other people that have needs in our church. So if you would, turn to Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel 10, 1... It says this, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. 
And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. So he's talking about the long captivity. It's coming to an end. And he's understanding it's coming to an end. In verse 2, And in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks was fulfilled. So Daniel is fasting, mourning, 21 days for three weeks because he had a promise. It was in the book of Jeremiah. He had read a promise that after 70 years, God would restore Israel from the Babylonian captivity. And the time had come and had been fulfilled. But it's not happening like it should. There's a hindrance there. It's not progressing like it should. And so what did Daniel do? He mourned. He fasted. Now, he didn't go on a complete fast with just water. He said he ate no pleasant food. But he committed himself to prayer and fasting until the promise of God was fulfilled. That's what he did. And at the end of three weeks, what happened with Daniel? He has a vision. An angel appears to him. And this angel was no ordinary angel because he's down by the riverbank and he's got some friends with him. And they see this angel, buddy, they are so scared, they take off running. So Daniel 10, look in verses 7 to 8. He says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, because it's the presence of this angel, maybe the pre-incarnate Christ. But a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. They took off. Verse 8, Therefore, Daniel says, I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. He's left alone, and then this angel speaks to him in verse 10. And I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then... Was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground? And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken these words unto me, I stood trembling. And I want to just make one quick point on that, verse 11. He spoke to Daniel, this angel came to him, and he said, Oh, Daniel, a man greatly beloved. And that word means that you are a man of great value to God. A special treasure is what he told Daniel that he was. That angel came. So listen, Daniel prayed, and the answer had been delayed. But yet God said, you are of great value. And here's what happens. So many times when our answers seem delayed, the devil will attack us and say, God has no concern for you. And that's why your prayer hasn't been answered. That's why these symptoms are lingering. That's why that child hasn't come back yet. That's why you still can't get the job that you want to have. When the manifestation is delayed. But God said this to Daniel. He said, Daniel, you are a man greatly beloved. So apparent delay, unless you have sin in your life, has nothing to do with God's love for you. We need to know that when we get in trials. So when was Daniel's prayer answered? Did it take 21 days for Daniel's prayer to be answered? Did it? Look at verse 12. This angel said to him, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. What does it say? Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. 
His words were heard, and that answer was on its way on that first day. Isn't that Mark eleven twenty four? When you pray, believe you have received. Your prayer's been heard, and you shall have it. That's a future tense. But what began heaven's action? Daniel's prayer, didn't it? Nothing was happening. No angel was being sent until Daniel prayed. So why was there a three-week delay? You mean God couldn't have given him that answer? Couldn't have had that manifestation come, that angel come in one day? Sure he could have, couldn't he? God could have done that easy. But there is a war that took place. And that's what we're reading about here. Daniel didn't know anything about it. Look in verse 13. He said, I came to bring thy words, verse 12, the end of verse 12. But he said, but there was something that hindered me. A little warfare took place, which is what we're talking about, prayer and warfare. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, he withstood me. How long? The full time Daniel's praying and fasting. 21 days, isn't that what it says? But lo, help had to even come. Lo, Michael, the archangel, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. So this prince of Persia, he's one of these powers that we read about in Ephesians 6, way back in the beginning. One of these rulers of the darkness of this world. He's fighting against Daniel's answer coming. There's a warfare taking place. The answer can't get through, and this warfare is so intense. And Daniel, this whole time, he has no idea. We're getting a little glimpse behind the veil, are we not? To help us out, to help encourage us to fight. So intense, Michael had to come to overcome this prince of the kingdom of Persia, this demonic spirit. And like I said, Daniel didn't know anything about that. He is just pressing through from his side. He's just pressing through by faith and prayer. Why? Because he knows that God answers those that diligently seek him. He rewards them. God wasn't reluctant, was he? Was he reluctant to answer those prayers? And it seems that way a lot of times. But he loved Daniel. That's why he said, you are greatly beloved. And he sent the answer immediately. But we have to see here, though God is sovereign, he has still ordained that a lot of time there will be spiritual conflicts in answer to our prayer that can only be overcome as we persist in warfare, in praying in the spirit, in tongues, doing warfare. And we can't give up until the manifestation comes. So what if Daniel had prayed two weeks and five days? What would have happened? Nothing. And like I've heard people say, we don't know when we get on the other side, these things we gave up on, we don't know how close they were to coming, that we gave up our hold of faith. We need to hold on, make sure our hearts are right, and press in, and press in for one another. We can't grow weary because, man, at prayer meeting now, we've been having prayer meeting for six months, and we're praying about some of the same things week after week after week. The way I look at it is, if we pray in the Spirit, Romans 8, 26 and 27, we're praying according to the perfect will of God. How can we be wasting our time? And what if you're this person here that their arms messed up and they're in pain every day waiting for God to deliver them? You wouldn't want people praying for you once a week, if not every day? I sure would. You're going to get mad because, man, you guys keep praying for me every week because of that. Wouldn't make me mad in the least. I'd be just so overjoyed. But Daniel didn't know anything about that. Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He says, God will avenge you speedily. That's his timetable. Don't lose heart or give up. 
And that's where that prayer in the spirit comes in. So somebody at church is trusting God for an answer to prayer. We don't know what God knows about that situation. And so we're praying in the spirit. It may be they're in sin. We don't know. You can't assume it, but you can't assume it's not. I don't know. But I know when I'm praying in tongues, maybe the Holy Spirit is praying, Lord, wake them up. Convict them of that sin. Get them in a situation where they'll repent so that answer could come. That may be what you're praying when you're praying in the Spirit. I don't know. Or it may be it's a strong spirit that has a grip on this person in their family, in their life. And what did Jesus say? Hey, the disciples in Mark, that man with that boy, the disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus did. And whether they want to say it's in the original or not, I think it is. He said this kind, though, doesn't come out by prayer and what? Fasting. Well, fasting, that, that involves a little intercession, doesn't it? That's more than just a little five-minute prayer. Fasting. So you're not going to deal with a strong spirit like these drug spirits. Or a homosexual spirit. You know, somebody that needs deliverance. That spirit is a strong spirit. It's not going to come out because you just oh, command you. They'll laugh at you. So that could be what you're praying about when you're fasting and praying in tongues. Or it could be that God is working endurance in this person. And you're just praying that he'll strengthen their faith, help them to hold on so that they'll see the glory of God come in that manifestation and try to be a testimony. Oh, this man wasn't blind since he was a boy because he sinned because at the right time, God is going to be glorified in him. A little boy that can't walk, there's going to come a time when his legs are strengthened that God is glorified in him. And in the meantime, we have a responsibility as a church to be praying for situations like that, don't we? I think we do. Because that answer is going to bring God glory. And sometimes, you know what, when that's the case, Satan just fights a little harder, doesn't he? Could that just be the case? He's fighting a little harder. I think so. And God's testing us a little more to see, are we going to just stand by and let that happen? Or are we going to be warriors, which is what we're talking about? Are we going to take time to fast, pray, and intercede? And not just watch people just, oh, there's another one that didn't make it. Ah, it's too bad. So we don't know what's going on in the invisible realm, but we do know that God wants us to pray for each other. We have needs and not to give up. So back in Ephesians, that's what he's saying there. Let's read it again. After all this armor, Paul is exhorting them. This is not another weapon, but this is not excluded from what he just said. He says, this is what undergirds all this warfare, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching and praying in perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watching thereunto, he says. Hey, I like what this writer says about what watching means. He says, it doesn't mean to become lazy by minimizing the importance of prayer or not participating with other believers in prayer or missing opportunities to pray for others in need. That's what watching means, or going through the day without devoting much time to pray for others. People that watch don't do those things. They pray with others. They devote time for needs to pray for needs that are coming. They don't miss opportunities to pray for others. And so we all have a great opportunity to pray for everyone at church on Thursday night. We have a Thursday night church prayer meeting here, and we pray for you. Whether you're there or not, it's fine. I really would only like the ones that want to be there to be there but I think we should all want to be there because we're commanded there to watch with all perseverance for all saints to not quit praying for others while they're hurting or trusting God and they're in distress or need. That is what we're reading right there. 
And the other great chapter about ministry in the body, Romans 12, it talks in Romans 12, 12, that we should be devoted to prayer, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And as we said at the beginning, it's one of those alls for all the saints, not just for some, not just for your family, but for all the saints. Amen? Amen. So what an exhortation and what a responsibility we have here in this Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. We're watching for who? For all the saints, all our brothers and sisters. Now Paul's writing that, but that's a command from the Lord. So we should be praying at all times. Every opportunity we have because, like you said, we don't know when the devil's going to attack us or others, and we need to be ready. And there's always some need to be praying about, so praying at all times and at all opportunities. We should be people of prayer, and all kinds of prayer are going to be involved in that. Whatever the situation it calls for, however the devil's attacking us and others, that's the prayers that we pray, whether it's a quick prayer of distress a prayer of intercession on behalf of someone else, or a prayer to God to help us in time of temptation. I need your strength and help here, Lord. I'm being tempted. That's the many prayers we pray. And in the Spirit means we're prompted by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gives us the faith to pray even. By the Spirit, it also means, as we said, praying in tongues, supernatural language that the indwelling Spirit gives us and inspires that groaning which cannot be uttered the most effective way we can pray, I believe, on behalf of other people is praying in tongues. We don't know what we're saying, but we said God does. He knows what the Spirit's praying, perfectly according to the will of God. And as we saw in Daniel, I think a lot of times the most effective prayer we're going to do and the prayer that we need to have on behalf of people we know that are in long trials is fasting and prayer. How much do we do that? What would happen if I said, hey, one day this month, we're going to call the church to a solemn assembly and prayer. And we're going to meet for prayer for needs that need to be met. Would we be willing to do that? We've never done that. Well, what would be wrong with that? I mean, the nation, America did that back in the day, would pray. And they would mourn for the sins of the nation because this nation was very sinful. And God blessed this country with revivals that took place. So we want revival? Read Joel 2. How was revival brought about in Joel 2? Things didn't look good. The people weren't happy. There wasn't any joy. All the bugs had eaten all the leaves off the trees. Not much there to be happy about, right? And what was his answer? He said, call a solemn assembly. Come before the Lord. Repent of your sins. Mourn before the Lord. Fast. Get serious with God. And then as a result of that, wow, look what happened. Man, look at Acts 2. When those people got together for 10 days, I believe they were fasting. And God's Spirit descended upon them. Amen? That very well may happen. Don't miss that meeting. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you'll just impress on our church here the seriousness of the hour, Lord, and just... The attacks the enemy is headed our way from the devil. He knows his time is short, and the wickedness of this world is growing great, Lord. And I just ask that you'll make everyone in here, all of us, Lord, people of prayer, saints of prayer that seek your face, that seek your power, 
that seek to know and have our eyes open to the power that is available to us and also, Lord, to experience that power, the power of your Holy Spirit in our inner man that we can be grounded and rooted in your love for us. And I ask also, Lord, that you'll just teach us, Lord, that we can have a promise, we can have claimed a promise and know that promise is on the way, but also know there are times we need to battle for ourselves and for others. And I just ask that you'll show us that, reveal that to us and the importance of that. And I thank you that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.